What a stupid question that is. What a stupid question. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. So welcome to the Irish Stand podcast. My name is Ayon Arudon. My name is Lisa Tierney-Kyo. And we're here overthrowing Trump from a small studio on the north side of Dublin. And we're here with thanks to Near FM and Nearcast. And before we start, we just have to acknowledge the fact that Lisa Tierney-Kyo is sitting there with a scaly face on her after spending an hour and a half. I just, I left New York so I would not have to deal with that kind of shit. So again. if you want to li- uh, ever read uh, Lisa Tierney Coe's uh, ponderings on being an Irish person uh, relocated to Dublin uh, after spending a long time in, the, in in America, get onto the Irish Times website and you'll read all about it. Anyway, are you okay, Lisa? I'm all right. You calm down now? I'm calm down are you now. You sure? I'm breathing. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. Very good. Very good. Now, I'm delighted on the line today uh, to discuss all things America and all things Irish America and the fallout from the midterms and the possibility that maybe it was actually a blue wave because there was some sense that maybe it wasn't, but it's getting the picture is getting bluer as the day goes by, um, is Joan Walsh. And we're delighted to have you on the Irish Town podcast. Joan? Thanks for having me. So just to explain who Joan Walsh is... For, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, a national affairs correspondent for The Nation, CNN political contributor, author What's the Matter with White People, which is something that we're going to touch on later, and also was the host of our Irish Stand gig in uh, New York on St. Patrick's Night uh, this year. So, Joan, huge man to get through. Um, my word, every every week we come back uh, and we talk about things are, are, you know, are Irish-American and, and American, and you you just can't get through the amount of things that have happened since last week. So there's the rain in Paris which stops Donald Trump. Um, oh God, I go- about the yeah, rain. Yeah, yeah. I mean- going to the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day. Uh, there's the the press conference. There's uh, there's more wins for, for the Democrats than had been had been anticipated. And now we 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 read today that CNN are taking a, a legal challenge to Jim Acosta being uh, thrown out of the uh, White House media pool. You might touch on that. I know you're a CNN con- contributor, but you don't speak for CNN necessarily. But what was your view of, of what happened at, at that press conference uh, and the fact that, uh, that a highly regarded um, uh, White House correspondent has been ejected and expelled? Well, it was outrageous. Um, Jim Acosta is a professional, uh, terrific person. Uh, and, you know, he is uh, routinely now getting death threats ever since Donald Trump has stepped up his, uh, his complaints, against, his attacks against him. Uh, and no, you're right, Aon, I do not speak for CNN, but I am proud to be part of CNN, and I'm proud that, that uh, the network took the action it took today. I mean, you know, the, I think we all know uh, that the original reason given for uh, barring Jim and uh, going to the extent of taking his press pass was uh, a lie, basically, because we could see it with our own eyes. He was accused of uh, accosting, of putting his hands on a young, quote, intern. Uh, But from many different camera angles, we could tell that he didn't do that. His elbow brushed her hand as she was the aggressive one and, and jumped in and reached under his arm and tried to grab his microphone, which I've never seen before, frankly. Uh, and then we also learned she's not an intern. She is a deputy White House press secretary who makes $130,000 a year, which, you know, 
for anyone who's not sure, that's a wonderful wage. It puts you in the top 3 or 4%. Uh, here in the U.S. So lie upon lie upon lie. And today Sarah Sanders has changed her tune entirely and is saying that he was barred because he monopolized the press conference, asked too many questions, and, you know, with 150 colleagues waiting. And to that I say that's just a matter of Donald Trump's management. Uh, Other presidents and other press secretaries have handled uh, folks, you know, wanting their second and third follow-up. There's a way to do it. She's basically admitting that that her boss uh, can't handle the the press corps like other, uh, like previous presidents. So, you know, it's 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 a it's a terrible story. Uh, I think that they've got you know they've got great lawyers and uh, a lot of legal opinion on their side, and we'll see what happens. But what what should the media do in that circumstance? I mean, there's been calls for different correspondents to boycott the White House and not engage with the with, with press conferences of that nature anymore. Is that realistic? I mean, it's everything seems to be so divisive in America at the moment, so absolutely, incredibly so. But what should the media do when, when, when clearly the the rights of the media and, and, uh, to report is, is so clearly being undermined? Well, I think there are a few things. I, I, I certainly think uh, that it would have been appropriate maybe for a one-day boycott to show, you know, that, that people won't, that, that other news organizations won't stand uh, for an ally and a colleague to be treated like that. But an ongoing boycott really isn't realistic, especially of the president's uh, press conferences. We don't get them very often in the first place. Um, I'm a little bit more uh, sympathetic to people just not showing up for Sarah Sanders' press conferences because she uses her platform to lie and to lie in a not always effective way, uh, often in a very insulting way, and not a lot of news gets broken there. Once we accept that Sarah Sanders is not going to tell us the truth, then what news can we break when we go there and say, uh, today, again, Sarah Sanders didn't tell the truth? But boycotting the president is, 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 not, is not realistic. I also liked the idea that some people had the other, you know, the other travesty scandal we had with the president and the media this week uh, was President Trump three times insulting three different uh, African-American female White House reporters. Two of them are my, again, CNN colleagues, um, April Ryan and Abby Phillips, and a third uh, works for our, our uh, national uh, public television, uh, PBS. Her name is Yamish Alcindor. Again, these are three incredible professional women. They don't lean right or left. They're not, you know, opinion uh, columnists or pundits like me. They do their jobs well every day. They've had no problems with prior presidents. Again, no major problems. There have been things, you know, certainly that uh, perhaps Barack Obama didn't like, uh, but never have they been singled out and treated in such a disgusting way. Uh, and some some people have suggested that you know major media outlets start sending their black reporters to cover Trump, uh, which I think is kind of a great idea. Although a lot of our too much too many media outlets don't ha- don't have uh, you know uh, no they don't they don't they don't have the staff get a few folks hired. Um, I feel like we could dedicate an entire podcast to Sarah Sanders lying and all the lies she tells and. It, it boggles my mind how she can just get away with this so blatantly 
lie after lie and there seems to be zero accountability. Um, what, in your view, like, I don't think um, I don't think a boycott's going to work because I actually think President Trump would love that. I think that would be perfect for him, um, like a consistent boycott. What, in your view, right. can tangibly be done? What What is a practical thing that can actually happen now? Is there is accountability gone? Well, accountability is gone in terms of, of his base and accountability is gone in terms of uh, Republicans in Congress. Uh, they have they have completely forfeited their uh, their accountability and oversight role. You know, our founders uh, wrote in a, a, a strong role for the legislative branch, but they never imagined that there would be a party that would forego it, that would mm-hmm. think it wasn't important, and that w- and that would want to bow down before another branch of government. But we've had that problem. Um, I mean, Democrats have taken the House, so, so things have changed changed a great deal. But, um, you know, in terms of what the media can do, I think calling a lie a lie is very important. Uh, I also think more solidarity among reporters. I know we're competitors, but, you know, and we saw it a little bit last week when Acosta was so rudely shut down by the president, uh, his NBC colleague, Peter Alexander defended him, said he's a great guy, a great reporter. There can be more of that. I've seen a few times if he cuts off a question every once in a while, another reporter from a competing outlet will say, well, as a matter of fact, I'd like to continue. I'd like to ask Jim's question, or I would like to give Jim Acosta my follow-up. Um, there should be more of that. There should be, you know, there should not be as much splitting of reporters just because we are competitors. Um, to, you know, to insult or humiliate or uh, thwart one another, uh, because you know, even if you're Fox News tomorrow, it could be you. So, yeah. um, those are two things. I mean, calling a lie a lie—it's taken a long time, but we we see the word lie uh, in coverage of Sarah Sanders. We see the word, the lighter word, falsehood, but it's still a version of lie. Uh, you know, more straightforward. Uh, calling out of what she does uh, and says and, and what, what the entire administration does and says uh, it's it is long overdue. Um, John, I'm going to ask you the, the Rosa Tralee question, which is um, your Irish background and how far it goes back. Uh, I think your Irishness is actually quite important to you. Um, Walsh is clearly a, an Irish name. Tell us about your Irish links. Well, I my uh, father's parents came from County Cork, um, from uh, Blarney, and uh, I was raised to be very self-consciously and proudly Irish. On my mother's side, she's three three quarters Irish. Uh, they were uh, mainly from Galway, so uh, I was just you know raised to to believe that being Irish was was a great gift. Um, I was raised in a very close New York Irish family, uh, and so it was it was a palpable uh, thing about me, you know, most most of my life. Um, and you know, I've re- I wrote about this in What's the Matter with White People. In some ways, it's a memoir of my Irish family uh, and and how it came apart to some extent, like so many Irish American families did in the 1960s and 70s as people split over the issues of the Vietnam War and to some extent race and all the urban disorder. 
uh, and I, I, you know, my my father and two of his brothers uh, stayed Democrats, but three of his siblings became Republicans on my mother's side. It was a similar story. Uh, we were kind of in the minority as being liberal uh, Democrats. Uh, and so, you know, I tried to explore how people who in 1960 voted for uh, John Kennedy over Richard Nixon could by 1968, eight short years later, many of them be voting for Richard Nixon. Uh, and, uh, you know, in, in large measure, it's a story of uh, people f- kind of falling for Republican propaganda about about race, about, uh, you know, the humanity and equality of black people, uh, of, of sort of getting the Irish to forget where they came from and how downtrodden and discriminated against we were. Uh, in my family, that was cause for solidarity uh, with, with black people and other people who faced discrimination, but in other families, it was it was not the same thing. So, uh, you know, but as I, as I got older, I found more Irish and Irish-American role models in the world of social justice and uh, began taking some of that Irish heritage back because I didn't want it claimed uh, only by the likes of Sean Hannity and the dear disgraced Bill O'Reilly and in the White House now uh, John Kelly and uh, even even Mike Pence who went so far as to convert to Protestantism uh, to because of his wife and I think also to further his Republican career so you know it's been very important and this is how we all connected originally. Uh, to make to make an Irish stand and say that they are they don't get to define who is Irish American or the Irish American story. Let me ask you, Joan. Um, how do you think the Irish in America became white? Huh. Uh, you know, I I don't like the book. There's a whole book about it, mm-hmm. and it really portrays the Irish in the you know the 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 darkest light it it, it ignores all signs of solidarity all all efforts at solidarity mm-hmm. uh between Irish Americans Irish Catholics and and black people uh but you know there's an element of the story that is true that that for some Irish Americans there was a a sense that they could get a step up a leg up by stepping on black people i mean it's just totally true as you know about New York, that we were pitted against each other at the you know the lowest rungs uh, of of the labor force. You know, uh, Irish women pitted against black women to take care of homes and children. Mm. Uh, Irish men and black men, whether on the docks or working as carters or porters. Um, you know, black people brought in as strike breakers uh, against Irish strikers. Uh, so there was, you know, a, a very intentional uh, pitting of us against one another, and and you know some uh, some Irish, uh, you know, bought the you know bought that. Um, and, and then it's also true that we are white. That that the visible, you know, visibly mm. skin color makes a difference. You know, it's true. In the 1800s, there were there were lots of cartoons that depicted us um, rather like monkeys, you know, uh, and sometimes with a darker darker skin. There, there was an attempt to make us literally not white and to put us on a continuum with black people. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, with an education, uh, you know, you can pass, and, and many Irish did. Uh, and, and the, you know, the way we define race in this country 
we are white, um, but, you know, that doesn't stop a lot of us from finding common cause with African Americans. Um, but, you know, the, the, the scholarship around whiteness studies, uh, I found kind of indicted the Irish as somehow, you know, the worst of all the ethnic groups in, in their treatment of African Americans, and I just don't think that that's true or fair. That, that we were the worst, that the Irish were the worst. That the Irish were the worst of of the of the of white ethnics, right? Um, in in terms of the way they treated black people, and I don't think that that was true or fair. That uh, Irish intermarriage with with African Americans is the highest of any group, um, you know, and we saw that even in in the nineteenth century. Uh, in fact, there's there you know there was often a fear of of blacks and Irish making common cause uh, going back to the south and and. You know, the, the slave revolts that involved white indentured servants along with black slaves, uh, there was a lot of interest in keeping us apart, and it mostly worked, but not, not entirely. So uh, I have always spoken out against uh, against an indictment of the Irish as the worst of the whites. I don't think that's true. Do you think, um, Joan, that uh, what, what Trump is at today um, with his insulting of African-American journalists, do you think that might be something to do with Stacey Abrams and what's going on in Georgia? Or do you think it's just he's, he's emboldened by the election or it's just him being him? What is your, what is your take I think on that? It's, I'm, I mainly think it's him being him, Lisa. I mean, you know, he's been going on about Maxine Waters as being low IQ. Oh. Uh, for for a long time, uh, you know, I think it, it's interesting to talk, to mention Stacey Abrams. It's kind of cause and effect, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. that he's threatened by the rising power of of black women in the Democratic Party. They are the base of the Democratic Party. They are our most reliable voters. Ninety four, ninety five, ninety eight percent of black women vote for Democrats uh, year after year, and I think he's he's personalized and personified that. Uh, I think, you know, he uh, it had had issues with Michelle Obama, and now we know clearly from her new memoir out uh, that she had issues with, with his racism. Uh, and so I think they're kind of natural enemies. Uh, but, you know, most, most white racists are just a little bit more um, undercover about it. I think he's made the expression of racial animosity okay again um and and he it's not a mistake that he's targeting these black women it's not a slip of the tongue or oh i i misspoke uh i think it's a very deliberate message to his to his base um and you know also stacey abrams he's called her unqualified he's called her a crime lover um you know he's slurred her with uh you know incredibly old stereotypical insults uh and so you know it's clear that he fears the rising power of black women and has no uh has no qualms about you know insulting them uh for the pleasure of his racist base talk to me about this this election the midterms and what they mean um uh, Joan because last week we had a, we had a conversation about about the uh, election and we thought maybe it was different parts of of the American divide could could take what they wanted from it but it, it appears now uh, as the results come in that it's possibly the biggest 
election victory for the Democrats, possibly since since post Watergate. Um, I suppose when the yes. Republicans won won that won the Senate, there's a sense well, okay, this is a kind of a it, it, there's a draw going on here or a tie, as you might say in the states. But actually, when you analyse the um, the voting patterns and the people who, who came out to vote, uh, and the, the the remarkable number of of women from different um, you know sexual orientations religious backgrounds right. um ethnicities such as such as native american two native american members of congress now uh, it's, right. it actually has been a, a remarkable election uh, for the democrats two questions really is um what should they focus on in the future uh, should should they go uh, gung ho to to tackle trump or should they focus on issues my answer to that is obviously issues and secondly has there been an obvious person who has come to the fore that we can uh, latch on to as being a, a potential presidential candidate and winner in 2020? Well, to, to, to take these kind of in reverse order, first of all, you're right, there did turn out to be a big blue wave, and a lot of journalists committed malpractice on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. I mean, I was lucky enough to write Wednesday morning when, to some extent, uh, some of the extent of it was clear, and certainly the fact that we had more than 100 women, uh, Democratic women, going to Congress. And you're right, there were the first two Muslim women, the first two Native Americans, more LGBTQ women, uh, really uh, a remarkable wave of women, at least. Uh, but now we know it, it was a blue wave, and you're right, it, it's, it's probably the largest uh, it could be the largest since the 30s, uh, and it's certainly larger than the Republican waves of 1994 and 2010. And the, you know, a problem with it is just journalism jumping to conclusions. A problem with it is that the way that we vote has has actually changed a lot in this country in the last 10 years, and the role of absentee ballots and vote voting by mail uh, has really grown uh, exponentially. Some of it was just a quirk of timing that uh, some of the big races that were lost were called early, and a lot of the wins came later. Uh, but but it's an incredible victory for the Democrats. There's no way around that. Um, in terms of what they should focus on, I think it's got to be both. I mean, I, I think that the question of impeachment is premature. Uh, you know, there there need to be investigations first, and we're going to they now have subpoena power here and the democrats and there'll be there'll be lots of investigations things that paul ryan uh didn't seem to care about uh, another fine irishman who's betrayed his past here, here. Um, and uh but you know and and maybe that would would lay groundwork for impeachment we don't know we don't know what robert Mueller's going to do but i think you know it's a false choice between investigating trump and working on issues. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, who is still the, the majority leader until there are elections, she has announced that the very, very first bill that she will, that they will introduce is a restoration of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, the Supreme Court gutted it, uh, and it's very important to restore some of the provisions that were gutted, and Congress can do that. Uh, and uh, and a lot of support for the Affordable Care Act. Health care was perhaps the biggest issue in this election. Uh, so I, I think they need to work on issues and keep the fire under Trump. Uh, finally, 2020, oh, my God. Uh, you know, let's talk about it again in six months. But, no, there's no clear front runner. There's all kinds of theories. There's all kinds of... There could be 20 people, 20 in 2020, 
there could be more than 20. I'm not kidding. Um, there, there really are so many contenders. And, you know, the early polls, you know, Joe Biden uh, comes out on top because he's been around so long, and I love him, another a fine Irish-American. Uh, but but I, I, I would like to see someone, you know, n- newer, younger. Bernie Sanders also has, has high poll numbers. He ran again. That often happens once you, if you run a second time, which I, I believe he will. Uh, but after that, there are about 12 people tied for third place. And, okay, I'm going to give you uh, a name. Beto O'Rourke. Who, I'm going to give you a name. Oh, Beto O'Rourke, you think he's going to run? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm saying he's mentioned, and there's a poll out today that did use him, and he came in. He, he was tied with third with a bunch of other people. Okay, Sherrod Brown. Sherrod Brown. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Ohio. Sherrod Brown. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What do we think? He's fantastic. He's. I know his wife Connie Schultz better than I know him, but they have said for years they they just don't want to do it, and they finally both yeah, said a, yesterday, and I love it that it came from guy. both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Is, so you 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 think he'd be a, uh, he'd be a good candidate? You think he's it's? Uh, I think he'd be great. I mean, I, I I'm not I, I'm in, I'm not endorsing for a long time, uh, if ever. Uh, I think it's going to be fascinating. I think we are likely to have uh, at least two and as many as four black candidates. I think we'll have at least four and as many as six female candidates. We're going to have a few uh, billionaires, I think, to say, hey, Trump did it, and he, he's probably not a real billionaire. We, we deserve a shot. Uh, we've got congressmen, uh, you know, some prominent, some you never heard of. We've got mayors. We've got governors. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the diversity of multiple black candidates means it's not easy to talk about the black vote. Uh, the diversity of female candidates likewise means it's not easy to talk about the, the women's vote. Uh, so it's going to be a whole new world, and uh, I I choose to be excited about it rather than worried, um, although there are certainly, you know, reasons to worry. We don't I think want that's a good primary. That's I think that's sure. a good outlook. I'm, I'm personally pulling for Stacey Abrams. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, listen, Joan, thank you so much for talking to us. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, Oh, thank you your, for having your me. Your insight is valued as always, and thank you for being part of the Irish Stand podcast my pleasure talk to you soon that was Joan Walsh fascinating any night of the week if you're watching CNN she tends to pop up and give her her insight interesting discussion on media's reaction to what's going on but genuinely every week when we sit down and have this podcast something huge has happened we haven't even got a chance to talk about about gun violence or what's happening in California which is clearly linked to climate change Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. It's, it's it's just it's the country seems to be just falling apart, and and everybody's just moved on from from twelve people people being killed in a oh in that a didn't I don't even know that, and you know that actually part of one of the fires is right at Thousand Oaks where the shooting happened. Right. And did you know that somebody who survived the massacre in Las Vegas was killed in the? I heard, yeah, because I saw a video of her, of, of, his, is, of his mother. It is mind-boggling, and nothing. It's like it's just. It's almost like the assault on the senses is so bad that people are becoming desensitized and not even desensitized. They're just traumatized by everything that's happening. I saw today, this is horrible. There is the state of Georgia is offering um, combat training to school students, to children, uh, and how to treat um, bleeding wounds 
with tourniquets when there's a school shooter. I mean, I, I, I actually wa- I wasn't going to watch it, and then I f- it found it so grim. And there was no comment. It was an NBC News report. There was no comment in it about this should not be happening. It was like, so, you know, in the school, this is what we're doing. And hey, kids, put the tourniquet on here. This is how we train soldiers in war zones. And these are children. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I know... I just don't get the gun thing. I mean, I get a, I can get my head around why people might feel a certain way in terms of American politics. I can even get my head around why some people might be a little bit racist. I can get my head around why some people might be a little bit xenophobic. I, I can possibly get my head around why people like the idea of a, war, of a wall. I get the pro-Israel thing to a degree. I can try and bend my brain around that. I can try and bend my mm. brain around... Uh, the pro life stuff around the guns. The I've gun, tried the so gun, hard. <laughs> the I've tried thing, so hard. I just get an absolute full stop. Now I know there's lots of people who look at Ireland and go, you know, Northern Ireland is is just doesn't make any sense to me. I can't get my head around it, and, and I can appreciate that, right? And I, I, I've been that person trying to Most explain us, it, yeah, yeah, yeah to, to people either. as to why it, it actually you know might make sense. But the gun thing, yeah, it's bananas. The gun thing. Listen, my daughter was in school in. Uh, in New York and when she was three years and ten months old she came home with a letter from school saying we did a we did an active shooter drill today now if you're in a fancy private school they'll like they'll make it nice and they'll send you home a lovely descriptive but we just got like a letter from the state the Department of Education and what they do is they usher these children these babies into a bathroom and some teachers will give them lollipops to keep them quiet and that for me was one of the most terrifying moments of my life. Do you know, do you know the worst letter you can send home from Irish school? The Mokanee look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been an outbreak of the Mokanee look in, in your school today. Headlights. Anti vaxxers. Headlights. Yeah. You send home with a headlights note, right? All hell breaks loose because yeah. you might as well just put the word rabies. Okay? <laughs> there's been an outbreak of head, headlights, or there's, you know, we're, do we don't even say no, that. No, we have. We have just, well, I, I got that letter recently. Randomly, uh, yeah. the first Tuesday of the, of the month is the check your child for headlights yeah. uh, day, right? No. And panic ensues and parents come frothing at the mouth mm-hmm. up to the door of the school pounding it down saying yeah. who who is the child with the headlights right that's the worst thing that's the worst and as you script that letter as a school principal which I was as you script it it's the most carefully scripted note that you ever don't go panic. home right D- don't panic this doesn't mean anything right you're almost kind of instructing a staff you know when they're leaving just don't scratch your head on the way out the door just don't scratch your head get into your cars and then you can have a good scratch when you're on the way home in case anybody looks at you right that's it that's the biggest thing yeah. that can po- no. ever possibly happen and there's forums of principals who, who, who swap notes about how best to phrase it and all the rest of it and how to deal with an actual outbreak like, of, of headlights yeah. that's the worst thing, thing they can send home I'm a, I just can't imagine what it would be like to send home a letter to to a they parent they, body but they saying did, that's, but that's uh, by the way we're just doing gun, we're just doing gun that's, training that's not even you can't do you can't do computer generated letters I mean just it's can't. just like in any context every parish in Ireland is so can you imagine like as a parent you I know, just, I'm in Brooklyn oh. and I'm 15 minutes away from my daughter and like I know then I know she's doing they're doing active shooter drills and they don't tell the parents because they know the parents will go bananas they don't tell them ahead of time they tell them afterwards but, surely but like the, tra- so but the trauma your, that it's leaving on these else in, like your American parents that were sending their kids to the school with your daughter go this is mad yeah they hate it but they also are like but well they accept, they, it, be- they accept it because if you're living in it you have to accept I it I don't get it because you're not from there. I remember being in New York once, right? And I was walking, I don't know who I was with, but I was walking past a, a supermarket uh, and this, this American guy. And there was two 
guys outside in combat uniforms with massive machine guns, right? Mm. And I said, what's, what's going on there, you know? And uh, I said, I don't know, but I'm glad they're there. I feel safer now. I said, but I absolutely feel the exact opposite. I feel on edge now because I'm walking past two guys with huge machine guns. It's... It's, a, it's a, just a different mentality. It is. It's a different mentality. I have tried. I've written about it in the Irish Times and been lambasted by probably Irish Americans for it. <laughs> but I've tried to understand this attachment. I've tried to go down the Second Amendment, the Constitution. I've tried to, I've tried to, you know, meet it with compassion. I've tried everything. I just don't get it. I don't understand why a country is not banning the thing that is murdering people. 1.5 million Americans since 1968 have died by gunshot wounds, by by by, by gunfire. Do you know 1.5 million Americans after the Parkland and they go and ape over refugees. Five people have been killed by Forget refugees it. in the same Forget period of time. It. It's it just I just I can't understand it. And okay. listen, if anyone's listening we and, you, and, and you have an ex- you have an explanation for this, please. I would like to hear it. I genuinely want someone to explain the American attachment to guns, please. To find an American living in Ireland who knows. Don't tread on me. The, what was it your man said from my cold dead hands? Like the NRA oh, had them all I'm bought. Sure. I like it, I, I just, right. I don't get it. That'll anyway. be, we'll try and get our head around that soon. Um, okay, so to, thanks to, to John uh, Casey for doing all the buttons as per usual and, t- and putting in the putting in the um, uh, the phone calls to the United States of America. Yeah. Do you remember ringing your relations in America when you were young? I know. You'd yeah. have like 3.4 seconds to talk to them. And it's sound like they're on the on the on the, the moon. I still I have an aunt in uh, in California, great grand aunt, and I call her, and it's still the same still the same mentality. Like you know, what time did is it there? What's the weather like? <laughs> get off the phone quick! It's very really expensive. Um, on a on a somber note, I just want to say a big up to everybody in California that's dealing with this absolute calamity um, in the fires. I like I've had to send messages to family and friends, be like, "Are you okay?" Yeah. It's it's really scary and it is it is the fire season is getting extended because of climate change and the environmental policies or the lack thereof that are happening are just it's actually really frightening. It's yeah. very very frightening. Anyway, on okay. that very sad depressing note, I hope everybody's okay. Please um say all the podca- podcast I will stuff. say all the podcast stuff now. Can everybody um you know who's listening just send me a message and tell me why Americans like guns so much and also at Lisa TK at Lisa TK so if you could go on iTunes if you and we're going to try and figure out how to get this on one of the other ones so because I'm told the people who don't have iPhones can't listen to this there you go um, who doesn't have an iPhone uh, loads of people apparently <laughs> and uh, so leave a review leave a nice review just be sound and if you could rate us and share us that'd be great yeah um, if you're mean you're part of the problem yeah don't be part of the problem and man. Trumpy Bear likes you yeah don't be part of the problem. All right, we'll see you next week and I'm not going to be sitting in traffic and I'm in better form then. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.